Hello, this is Daniel Morris. I'm the Senior Investment Strategist with BNP Paribas Asset Management, and welcome to our Market Weekly podcast. This week, I'm joined by Mark Lewis, who is our Global Head of Sustainability Research. This week, we'll be sharing with you an update on the markets, how the coronavirus is affecting the markets, uh, investor sentiment and perspective. And then following that, we'll have some insights from Mark about how we need to think about sustainability in a time of stress and such high market volatility. So what can we say about the markets? The first thing I want to convey is our view uh, as far as BNP Paribas Management is concerned is that is this is not the time to be selling risky assets. Uh, I think we all appreciate markets fall, particularly equity markets and, and risk markets, uh, but they do and they will recover. And our view is that the levels we're seeing, particularly in equities, uh, are attractive and we're taking advantage of the bigger sell-offs in the market to add to our risk exposure. That said, we're cognizant that there's a high degree of uncertainty. We we don't know uh, how this is going to evolve. Things could get worse as opposed to getting better. And so we have a list of signposts that we're watching to give us an idea of how we need to perhaps uh, adapt and change our perspective. Some of the things that we're looking at primarily is really the extent and the duration of the shutdowns that are currently in place. And when I say extent, it's not only uh, the degree that the restrictions uh, go to in terms of uh, preventing people from leaving their homes or are they more or less restrictive, but also just the geographic spread, how far across Europe, how far across the U.S. Uh, and on that front, we've had mixed news, to be honest, probably more concerns in the U.S., than we had certainly even a week ago. We've also seen a re-imposition of some restrictions in Singapore. Uh, on the more positive side, it does appear that the restrictions that have already been put in place in Italy and in Spain do seem to be working. There does seem to be a reduction in the number of new cases and the mortality rate uh, does seem to be improving. So that gives us a reason to be a bit more optimistic about the future. Another key signpost that we're watching are whether we see further announcements uh, around fiscal or monetary stimulus. There probably hasn't been all that much concrete recently. The biggest discussion is probably around a further package in the U.S. that likely will be focused on infrastructure spending. So we'll certainly be paying attention to that and try to anticipate the impact of that on the economy and on the markets. Finally, if we think about with the economic indicators having been telling us about the impact of the restrictions we've had in place so far on the economy, we got our first release of PMIs for Europe in March, not particularly encouraging figures. Several of the countries saw levels below what we saw in 2008. So in the short term, very negative, but we do anticipate nonetheless a rebound in uh, by the end of the second and into the third quarter. Uh, U.S. jobless claims reaching uh, records, so certainly a lot of disruption in the U.S. labor market. Uh, On the other hand, we did see a better-than-expected rebound in PMIs for China, so it does seem at least possible that as restrictions are lifted, uh, the economy is is able to get back up to speed uh, reasonably quickly. Okay, so that's our coverage of the latest developments in the market. Now let's turn to our main topic for our weekly market podcast, 
and I want to turn to Mark and, and ask him a few questions. So, Mark, this is obviously an unusual time, extreme volatility in the markets, high levels of uncertainty. Uh, two questions. One, how do we need to think about sustainability in this type of environment? And do we need to be worried that governments are going to shift their focus away from sustainability? Yeah, hello, Daniel. And um, uh, great questions, obviously, in the, in the current uh, climate. I think on your first question, in terms of how we should think about sustainability when markets are so volatile, um, what does sustainability really mean is the question I'd come back to. And um, it's really for us at BNP Paribas Asset Management about long-term resilience. We're a long-term investor. And um, this crisis, this pandemic, is really revealing uh, the importance of resilience because I think the volatility that we're seeing in markets is arguably in large part a response to the fragility that the coronavirus has revealed across many areas. Public health systems, economies, and financial markets reflect that. You know, asset values move very violently and very suddenly uh, in times of great volatility, and uh, that's exactly what we're seeing. But I think it's, it's a response to uh, the fact that the, the first and most important lesson of this pandemic is that uh, our world is more fragile than we thought. So I think how we should be thinking about sustainability in response to this is that we all need to think much harder about resilience uh, going forward, how we build it, how we maintain it. And that, that applies to public policymakers. It applies to company CEOs. And it applies to those of us who, who work in markets, uh, both on the uh, banking side and on the asset management side. So I think at the end of all of this, when the dust starts to settle, an enhanced role for sustainability, the importance of resilience, should be one of the main lessons from this crisis. Secondly, in response to your question about governments and whether they're going to shift away from sustainability, I think that is a very important question, but I'm more optimistic about the response to this crisis than I am to how governments responded in general to the global financial crisis in 2008-2009 when there is absolutely no doubt governments deprioritized some of the key sustainability issues, in particular climate change. There had been a lot of momentum building up, in fact, in the global policy response to climate change ahead of the global financial crisis. And the impact of the crisis was to really send climate change tumbling down the list of government priorities all around the world. I think today it's different for a number of reasons. The, the first point uh, I would indicate is the one I was just talking about. This crisis has really revealed a degree of fragility. And actually, fragility even in the, the richest and most industrialized countries in the world, if you look at where the epicenter of this crisis is, it's in Europe, it's in North America and the United States, the most advanced economies in the world and the best public health systems in the world. And we're feeling a degree of vulnerability in these countries that really, certainly in my lifetime, we've never seen or felt before. So that revelation of fragility, I think, will concentrate governments' minds. And if you see how they're responding imaginatively in terms of the economics of this crisis, that's already a very good signal, I think, that they are prepared uh, to think more imaginatively. And the broader point is really what is also different today compared with 2008-2009, both for sustainability generally and, and climate change in particular, is that the economics have changed. And this actually offers an opportunity to governments to advance 
the sustainability agenda and the climate change agenda, because one of the things we're going to need coming out of this crisis is a longer term thinking about the economy. And it's a great opportunity to reboot by means of fiscal stimulus in green infrastructure and um, really give a boost over the longer term to the decarbonisation of the world economy that will be necessary if we are to achieve the um, goals of the Paris Agreement. So I'm actually more optimistic than perhaps uh, some people might be about how governments will ultimately uh, respond to this challenge. Great. Thanks, Marcus. We need to hear as much as we can to, to have an optimistic perspective, so definitely appreciate that. Uh, nonetheless, all of us are facing the challenges, uh, working from home, trying to keep our businesses moving. I'm curious how you in the Sustainability Center, uh, how are you operating in the current environment? Yeah, so there are 25 of us globally who work in the Sustainability Center. We have three colleagues in Asia and um, uh, two colleagues in the United States, and then the rest of us are in Paris. And um, we've all been working remotely Certainly those of us in Paris have been working remotely for the last uh, three weeks. Our Asian colleagues, of course, because the pandemic started in, in Asia, were more sensitized to this earlier than we were. So I think they've been you know, working through uh, office isolation and then remotely from home, and now our U.S. colleagues as well. And uh, so far, I'm glad to report that things are, are working very smoothly. Uh, conference calls are replacing face-to-face meetings. And uh, those seem to be uh, working very well. Uh, Of course, in our daily lives, in any case, when we're in the office, to the extent we're communicating with our colleagues in Asia or in North America, uh, we're making use of uh, video conferencing facilities in any case. So that's not new. It's just there's a greater reliance on it. And I think, you know, this will focus people's minds again coming out of the crisis. How much more efficient can we be in the future by learning the lessons of this crisis in terms of productivity of people working from home and um, the time we spend traveling on intercontinental travel in particular? Will that bounce back in the future? That's a broader question for the world economy as a whole. But I no doubt that, that we will be thinking about that in the sustainability center as well once the dust is settled. Yeah, well, that's actually a perfect segue into my next question, because one of the other uh, of the many uh, uh, changes we've seen in the markets over the last several weeks, one of the biggest has been the collapse uh, in oil prices, partly, of course, because of the slowdown in the economy, but not only. So I'm curious to hear what's your view on that and what are the implications for the energy sector? and, And ultimately, more importantly, what does it mean for all of us as investors? Absolutely. So just to put it into context, first of all, this is the biggest and most dramatic drop in oil prices since the early 1990s, the time of the first uh, Gulf War, and absolutely extraordinary in that it has happened through, first of all, the impact of the uh, pandemic starting to hit uh, demand. Uh, that, that was already uh, that was already a theme before we, in the sense that Chinese. Uh, demand in particular was the first to suffer owing to the impact of the pandemic being felt first in China. Then we had on top of that this extraordinarily difficult meeting of the so-called OPEC plus plus countries where Saudi Arabia and Russia uh, could not agree on supply cuts. And therefore, uh, the opposite happened. And both Saudi Arabia and Russia said that they would increase uh, supply. So what you have is an increase in oil supply at a time when demand is suffering the most violent shock 
it has ever suffered, I think it's fair to say. Uh, some projections now for the second quarter of this year globally are saying that at the trough, global oil demand could be down by as much as 35 to 40 million barrels a day, which is to say 35 to 40 percent of uh, global oil demand. It's just an extraordinary number at a time when the market was already oversupplied and will now be all the more oversupplied because of the disagreement within the OPEC plus group. So I think it brings to a head, really, this whole question of uh, peak demand, which has been uh, gaining increasing traction within the, um, amongst investors with regard to the future outlook for the oil industry. Um, the peak demand narrative is, is the idea that at some point in the next decade, global demand for oil will peak and will then start to decline. And this is one of the main reasons why oil companies have been under increasing pressure from investors regarding the long-term outlook for their business model. And I think this very violent, unprecedented collapse in oil demand um, will focus people's minds all the more on the question of when peak demand will happen and how quickly it will happen. And just, again, to put into context, um, many people are probably not aware of this, but after the last crisis, 2008-2009, uh, the, the global financial crisis, uh, oil demand in the United States um, in 2007, so the year as a whole, is still the record year for oil demand in the United States. In 2019, demand for oil in the U.S. was back almost to the level of 2007, but not quite. And that's despite the fact that the U.S. population had grown by 20 million over that period. So if you, if you put that into a more global context, um, the question that some people might now start asking more uh, seriously is, could we even start to think that 2019 will mark the global peak for oil demand? I'm not saying that is the case, but I'm saying it's a question that might start to be asked. Because looping back to our previous question, Daniel, um, if we think that people will be working remotely more in the future as a result of this uh, crisis, if people are not going to be doing as much intercontinental air travel as before as a result of this crisis, then um, you have to start to wonder about um, demand for oil and the peak demand happening probably sooner than everybody's expectations uh, were thinking it would happen before we went into this pandemic. So I think this will focus investors' minds on the need for the oil companies to make their business models uh, more resilient uh, for the future. And that means inevitably uh, thinking about moving away from a concentration on oil and gas and investing in other energies, cleaner, renewable energies. Great. Thank you very, very much, Mark. So let me uh, provide a recap, if I may, of the key messages from this week's podcast. Uh, our key message, number one, is our view this is not a time to be selling risky assets. And in our multi-asset portfolios, we actually are overweight equities, and in particular, the UK, uh, Eurozone and emerging markets, and global commodities. Mark's message is, number one, that probably one of the biggest lessons from the pandemic is that, if anything, we need to think uh, harder and more about resilience, how we build it, how we maintain it, which, if anything, means we're going to have an enhanced focus on sustainability in the future than we necessarily had before. Another key consequence of the crisis is you've had a dramatic change in the attitudes of governments about fiscal stimulus, Germany being the, the most obvious example where you previously 
uh, had this strong commitment to a balanced budget, whereas now Germany uh, has pursued fiscal stimulus uh, at least of the same magnitude that you've seen in other European countries and in the U.S. If you combine that with what we expect to be uh, low interest rates for a very, very long time, that actually creates a huge opportunity for massive fiscal stimulus to help restart the economy, but particularly a focus on green infrastructure. The implications of the collapse in oil prices uh, is likely to be that it's just going to further accelerate the transition away from oil and gas for energy companies uh, and towards renewable energy in the future. And then finally, as always, we need to have a long-term perspective, but the new lesson perhaps from, from the crisis is that we need to take resilience even more into account when we think about our investments for the future. Thank you very much for joining us this week. If you have any further questions, please do not hesitate to reach out to your BNP Paribas Asset Management contact, and we wish everyone a good week. Thank you. This podcast presentation includes a discussion on current market events and is not intended as investment advice or an offer of products or services by BNP Paribas Asset Management. Please keep in mind that the information and analysis in this presentation is only current as of the publication date.